If you would, take out your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm chapter 4. Children, it's pretty easy to find the book of Psalms. Open your Bible to the middle and you will get to the book of Psalms, the longest book in the Bible with 150 chapters. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him in prayer and ask for His aid, His blessing. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we just sang, we need help. We need You, our God. And Father, You have provided help to Your people through Your Word as Your Spirit helps us understand and apply this eternal and everlasting truth. Father, would You indeed quiet our hearts from the distractions of the world around us and open our hearts to the truth of your word and open your word to our hearts, Father, that we would know what we are to believe about you and also what duty you ask of your people. And Father, as we do the duty that you ask, may we do it with a humble reliance upon Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we are coming already to the conclusion of this short four-week series, seeing all of life as worship through the Psalms. You may recall week one was Psalm 1, the rooted heart, two ways to live. And Psalm 2 was a warning to the rebellious. And those two Psalms, many and most scholars believe, serve as the introduction for the entire Psalter. Last week in chapter 3, Psalm 3, we saw the battle for faith, where we saw faith's crisis, its confidence, and its cry. And today we continue with Psalm chapter 4. The Psalms are, as you know, the songbook, the prayer book of the church, of God's people in the Old Covenant as well as in the New Covenant. The Psalms, as you know, are, are important in corporate public worship. In fact, did you know that we just sang Psalm 42? Psalms here at Grace and Peace are a part of our worship service because they connect us to the people who have gone before us and indeed who will come after us. We sing the Psalms. We are uh, inclusive, not exclusive Psalms. And yet the Psalms are also geared toward all of life worship. How many of you, in a moment of incredible joy, incredible um, hardship, turn to the Psalms? Anytime I go to visit people in the hospital, anytime I go to visit folks who are close to death or who are in some struggle and difficulty, go, we, we go to the Psalms. We go to the Psalms. It's public and it's private. Worship. And what does worship do? Well, we give glory to God. But as you know, and I hopefully you will increasingly know, worship together on the Lord's Day does much good for God's people. How? It changes us from who we were to who we are becoming and who we will one day fully be. Corporate worship on the Lord's Day is where the means of grace, the word, prayer, fellowships, are most concentrated, most centrally located. Corporate worship on the Lord's Day is the fuel for all of life worship, the anchor and engine of all of life worship. 
Because worship reorients us and worship realigns us. What do I mean with those two words? First, worship as reorientation in the case of false gods. Our eyes need to be turned from the false and toward the true. Worship is reorientation. But worship is also realignment in case of the false worship of the true God. Because God has revealed how we are to approach Him, how we are to worship Him in His Word. We don't come up on our own with how we think God desires to be worshipped. He has made it clear in His Word. And so worship realigns us. It improves our vision. We see more clearly what we may have seen dimly at first. Those of you that have been around Grace and Peace for a while know that our motto, our slogan, our tagline, it's on our postcard, it's on our website, is this. To be human is to worship. Who or what are you worshiping? Now there in that is a a universal statement, isn't it? Who To be human is to worship, but there's also an ultimate question. Who or what are you worshiping? My friends, the mission of grace and peace is not just to gather a bunch of people. It's not to to say we do it right and others do it wrong. Our our mission is not to, to acquire a building and build a legacy. Our mission is not to hire staff and increase the budget. Our mission is to call people to worship. Call those within these walls to worship and most certainly also call those outside these walls to worship. Our mission is not trivial. It's incredibly important as we will see from Psalm 4. Now we see at Psalm 4, it begins with that um, title, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. We don't know the historical situation that uh, resulted in the composing of this psalm. It doesn't tell us. Some scholars, some theologians think it's, a, it's Absalom con- continued rebellion and it's David's panic and fleeing and it's his... Um, uh, instead of physical danger, it's, as it were, spiritual danger. But we just don't know what the actual historical situation is. But what we do know this is it is historically rooted, and yet it is timeless. Christianity is historical. It's based upon actual events, actual facts. Without that, there is no gospel. Christianity is historical, and yet Christianity is also relevant We don't make Christianity relevant. It is relevant. The Word of God is profitable. The command is not make it profitable. It is. It's historically rooted and yet timeless. Psalm 4, as we will see, is a song. It's a prayer. It's an individual lament of David's. It's also a psalm of confidence. David is speaking to God, as we will see clearly in verses 1 and 6 through 8. And he's speaking to men in verses 2 through 5, either directly or in his prayer. Now to get us started, let's listen to this psalm. 
Psalm chapter 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. When was the last time you all went to the doctor? Not the specialist that I'm most familiar with, but the general practitioner, the family doctor. You know, the, the, uh, the medical doctor that's the jack of all trades, that, that's more than just a medical doctor. He, in the words of many of my father's patients, my father had a tremendous spiritual influence in the lives of his patients through his medical practice. Now, put yourself in the doctor's office. You hear these questions. What brings you in today? Now, of course, they've got the chart, so they should already know that. But they ask, what brings you in? How are you doing? How are you feeling? And as you start to explain and give your answer, I'm pretty sure these two questions come up. They're almost always asked to, in, to, in order to understand how the doctor can help. And it's these two questions. H how are you sleeping? How are you sleeping? And how's your appetite? How are you sleeping? And how's your appetite? Because a doctor can learn a whole lot about your health in how you answer that question. How are you sleeping? And how's your appetite? Now, if Psalm 4 could be seen as David's answer to these two questions, then he'd have to say that he is sleeping and eating well. He is sleeping peacefully and he is feeding on the abundant provision of God's word while living in the midst of difficult and trying circumstances. David would have to say that his days begin and end and indeed continue with the Lord. Well, let's explore that in some detail as we unpack Psalm 4 using the framework. As the day begins, as the day unfolds, and as the day ends. And as we do that, keep in the back of your mind that prayer is worship. Prayer is worship. As the day begins, answer me when I call. O God of my righteousness, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Well, 
It doesn't exactly say this, in the morning David prays this, or in the morning I pray that, but based on the fact that it ends with David going off to sleep and trying to understand the structure and how this psalm is put together, it seems that the first verse could be prayed and is being prayed by David in the morning. It's not a direct statement, more indirect, that David is praying as the day begins. And notice the boldness and confidence with which David prays, how he addresses God. Look with me at verse 1. The main primary central request is this, be gracious to me. Some translations say, be merciful. And notice that that central request is surrounded by answer me and hear my prayer. And most translations put in exclamation points, exclamation marks there. Answer me. Hear me. Listen to me. David is not shy. He is not hesitant. He's not holding his head down and stammering. It's as if David has already heard these words Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Hopefully all of you are familiar with those words from Hebrews chapter 4 that we often use to introduce our time of corporate intercessory prayer. David is drawing near with confidence to a gracious God. But what's his reason for confidence? What drives his boldness? Is David just naturally bold? Two things. God's character and God's conduct. What fuels his confidence and boldness is who God is. O God of my righteousness. David knows he does not have a righteousness of his own. He knows that the Lord is his righteousness. Who is David? He was a sheep herder. He was the the youngest, smallest son. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. David was set apart by the Lord for service. David knows it's nothing in him. It's everything in the Lord. The Lord, my righteousness. The righteous God. He is appealing to the God who does all things, not just well, but all things right. David's got an understanding of who God is. God is righteous. But we also see what fuels his confidence and boldness is what God has done. His conduct. He writes this, You have given me relief. When I was in distress. Past tense. You have given me relief. When I was in distress. David is crying out for help. Based on previous and past experience. The word relief. Gives this idea of an expansive place. A a huge room. Because David is feeling cornered. He's feeling claustrophobic. Any of you all struggle with claustrophobia? I mean, you don't have to admit it, but you know it when you've got it, right? 
when's that elevator door going to open? Thankfully, they don't have telephone booths anymore, right? David was trapped. He was feeling pressed in, and he's asking God for relief. And the original word has to do with an expanse, a, 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 a wide open place. Do you all know, have you all experienced God's faithfulness in the past? Have you seen God rescue you in the past? A friend once told me, don't doubt in the dark what God has said in the light. History is important. God's history with His people is important. Has God been faithful in the past? Absolutely. Will he continue to be faithful in the future? Absolutely. David is grounded in God's character and God's conduct. How about you? Are you in the crisis right now? Are the waves of doubt coming into your boat? Ask yourself. Look to the Lord and say, Lord, you have rescued me in the past. You have delivered me in the past. Would you deliver me now? He's the same God. He's got the same steady and sure, faithful love. So what do we learn about prayer right off the bat from verse 1? True prayer is urgent. It rests on the righteousness of God It is dependent upon God's mercy. My friends, as I hope the quote on the something to think about quote this week helps us see, we don't have to get our act together in order to pray. Prayer is in fact a means of grace of God, as it were, getting our act together. It's urgent. It rests not on our own righteousness, our own merit. It rests on the merit and the righteousness of God. Of another. It's dependent upon mercy. And so we see that David, as it were, begins his day in prayer. We already know that it will end in prayer as well. In the meantime, let's see how his day unfolds from verses 2 through 5. David, as you know, is being opposed. He's got opposition and enemies, enemies from the outside and enemies, as it were, on the inside. And unlike chapter 3, Psalm 3, when the threat was almost physical, here the threat is more emotional, mental, spiritual. We read in verse 2, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you Love vain words and seek after lies. Sticks and stones may break David's bones, but you know what? Words are also hurting him. His reputation, it's seeking to assault his confidence in the Lord. Remember, David, several times in his life, is humiliated before men. He's humiliated. He's surrounded By people telling lies. I don't know if you all um, enjoy this, but have you ever been with people who just lie a lot and lie about you? Where do you turn? Where do you turn under that kind of assault? David turns to the Lord. 
He asked two questions. How long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? David's honor and glory is the Lord's. And they are attempting to turn it into a shameful thing. Oh, you trust God? Oh, is God going to deliver you? Oh, is God going to um, keep your uh, kingdom secure? He asked these questions to set up his response. And in doing so, David is making his faith explicit. And his response after these two questions are a rapid series of exhortations. They are imperatives. They are all related to God's covenant. Verse 3, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. The Lord hears when I call to Him. Remember, in the morning it's David and the Lord. And now during the day, it's David and others as well. Others who are attempting to to shame him, others who are speaking vain, empty words, others who are, who are uh, accusing falsely. David rests in this, know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The godly, a complex word here, meaning those whom God loves with an unchanging love and those who love him back. We love because God first loved us. The godly are godly not because they get themselves in a right relationship with God. The godly are godly because God has set them apart. He has put His hand upon them. And there's another reminder to others and to Himself. The Lord hears when I call to Him. I mean, David is now saying that the prayer he uttered in the early morning hours is going to be and is heard. But he continues, be angry and do not sin. Some translations say be agitated, tremble, stand in awe. Of course, that's familiar language from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. But here, the, the idea is more be agitated, tremble, stand in awe. There's no point in denying fear, but the right response, the right response, David says, is this, don't sin, and he continues, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Silent. Silence. Silence. A neglected part in our lives, is it not? It's most certainly a neglected part in my life. Those of you that pay attention to our order of worship notice that there are times of silence. It's built into our worship service. We need time to digest what God has just put down our throats, so to speak. Times of silence throughout the service. The prophet Habakkuk says this, But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. There's a time to speak, we read in Ecclesiastes, and a time to refrain from speaking. To be silent before the Lord. And not only that, but we continue in verse 5, Offer 
right sacrifices. Sacrifices of consecration, of confession and fellowship, a right ritual done in the right spirit leading to the right living. But David later in Psalm 51 will give absolute great definition to the right sacrifice. He says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And finally, David gets to the bottom line. The bottom line is this. Put your trust in the Lord. And notice once again, it's Lord in all capitals. It's Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. It's the I Am. It's the one who has made Himself known to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Moses, and others. Put your trust in the Lord. Well, who is David speaking to? Well, it appears he's speaking to other men, right? Those who are troublemakers in Israel. But he's also speaking to himself. He's talking to himself. David, in other words, the words he is offering to others are the words he himself needs to hear. I don't know if you guys are... um, um, I don't know many people who eagerly would identify themselves as evangelists. You know, I mean, some people have the gift. Go up to strangers, go up to acquaintances, and within five minutes, they are laying out creation, fall, redemption, glory. They are laying out sin, the penalty for sin, uh, Christ's work. But for me, it takes a while to get to that. But every time I've been involved in sharing Christ with others, do you know who else is greatly encouraged? Me. And you know that as well. When you're sharing Christ with others, you're building yourself up in the faith. David is doing that. He's talking to others. He's talking to himself as the day unfolds. Indeed, his day unfolds with words appropriate to others as well as to himself, to believers who are wandering, as well as to unbelievers who are lost. They are appropriate because they are words grounded in and guided by the Word of God that David already knows. He already knows God is a covenant-keeping God. He already knows about God's rescue of His people. Well, now let's look at how this psalm and how his day ends. It ends as it began in prayer as he talks to the Lord once again. We begin reading in verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. David's final request, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord, is an echo of his first request. And it's prefaced by a comment that there are many around him saying, who will show us some good? My friends, it's not only the outside world of unbelief that speaks to us. 
It's people who name the name of Christ and yet aren't, as it were, living for his glory. That, that come alongside us and say, you know what? You can have your cake and eat it too. You can still go to church, but hey, live really any way you want because it only comes around once. Voices are always speaking to us. Many are saying, who will show us any good? In other words, they are giving up on the faithfulness of God. And do you know people like that? Of course, because we're often like that. Oh, how we need one another to come alongside and point us to the truth of God, the truth of His Word. Notice in this final request, it sounds an awful lot like the Aramaic blessing that we heard read earlier. And it sounds an awful lot like our corporate intercessory prayer. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Why? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. God's face signifies both his presence and the expression of his feelings. A feeling and the reality of approval. Lift up the light of your face upon us. And be gracious to us or one and the same thing. It's interesting. David starts off in the morning. Be gracious to me. And by the evening he says this. Lift up the light of your face upon us. O Lord. He starts off focused on himself and the Lord. And he's going to end up as it were focused on also on God's covenant community. And what does this favor of the Lord bring? It brings two things, joy and peace. You have put more joy in my heart, he writes, than they have when their grain and wine abound. Sometimes we sing... um, the hymn that has this line, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. Solid joys and lasting treasures, greater joy than the world affords, greater joy because it can't be taken away. Think with me of the most wonderful times of your life, the birth of a child, a, 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 a graduation, a a reunion with a friend, a good meal, all things to be enjoyed, provided by the Lord, but those will not last. There is everlasting joy, and it's in the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 9, a familiar passage starts out like this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They rejoice. You have increased their joy. David would later write in Psalm 16, In your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. Not just intermittent joy, partial joy. In your presence there is fullness of joy. 
The favor of the Lord upon David results not just in joy, but also in peace. How does Aaron's blessing end? And give you peace. And give you peace. David will rest assured. Assured of God's covenant love for and faithfulness to his people. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Some of you may be familiar with the New England Help me out. Is it primer or primer? Please. I say primer, but some say primer. Anyway, early 18th century book. And in it, we can find these words. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. In a textbook. Today? Probably not. The New England Primer. But you know what? There was an earlier version that most likely it was based upon, written by Joseph Addison, an English essayist, poet, playwright, and politician. And he wrote these words. When I lay me down to sleep, I recommend myself to his care. When I awake, I give myself up to his direction. Amen. That's David. When he's asleep, he's entrusting himself to the Lord's care. And when he's awake, he's following the Lord's direction. My friends, can you and I pray that prayer? When we are sleeping, we are entrusting ourselves to the Lord's care. And when we are awake, as it were, and alive fully, we are following His direction. Now, David, King David, Psalmist David, is pointing to another here. A greater David. David's greater son, the promised Messiah. And so as we bookend this psalm and as we bookend our days with prayer, let's remember three things. The source of our boldness and confidence in prayer and in life. If you've got your Bibles open, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We read earlier verse 16 about drawing near to the throne of grace with confidence. But do you know what comes before that? These words. Beginning in verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, let us therefore, let us because of Christ. David anticipated Christ and pointed toward Christ and we can look back at Christ and His work and therefore you and I, boys and girls, men and women, can go to the throne of grace with confidence. And that Jesus that has paved the way for us, 
that Jesus is full of joy and peace. For we read in chapter 12 of Hebrews, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus didn't fight back against humiliation. Jesus did not call legions of angels down to take him from the cross. For the joy, the eternal everlasting joy that was set before him. And then peace. In John 14, Jesus tells his disciples this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. My friends, there is only one source of peace in a troubled world. Troubled on the outside and troubled on the inside. It's the peace that Jesus alone gives. For he himself is our peace, Paul writes in Ephesians. So take a look with me once again at Psalm 4. It begins, be gracious to me. Be gracious to me. Grace. I need it. I'm desperate for it. I've got to have it. And how does Psalm 4 end? Come on, track with me. Peace. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The psalm begins with grace and it ends with peace. So also the Christian life. My friends, rest assured. In the joy and the peace that Jesus brings. In the grace that Almighty God gives those who acknowledge their weakness, acknowledge their sin, acknowledge their desperation. Rest assured in the love of God. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. We thank you for this example before us in your word of a praying life. Would you help all of us, Father, to begin our day and end our day in communion with you? And may we live in the middle in continual dependence upon you. Oh, Father, we join David in crying, be gracious to us. Hear our prayers. We join him in asking you to lift the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And Father, we thank you that you have done that for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.